There's a, I just uh, appreciate the, the team. I think especially that song. It's um, the uh, the craziness of all the kingdoms and its powers resting in in uh, a child that is susceptible to just about anything. I think it's it's sometimes easy just to kind of breeze through Christmas um, at the pace and the craziness that it can bring. I think it's good to have mornings like this where we can stop for a little bit and uh, remember exactly why uh, it is that we celebrate it. And um, this morning, uh, before we jump into the text, I, I think it's just a, a good time just to stop and say, okay, with all the things going on, it's 10 days till I get that and all the things that are there, but just to stop and reflect and be grateful. And so um, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray for the sermon, but I think especially just for us to have a minute uh, or two just to kind of sit and um, appreciate all that Christ has done in your life, uh, things he's going to continue to do, and um, especially what he's been doing right here with uh, sending his son on our behalf. So I'm going to go and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for truth that can be sung out in lyrics like that. Um, we thank you that we can... Uh, not only sing that, but we can be humbled by it. Um, God, a lot of us have plans and agendas and things we need to get to before Christmas comes, and there's a lot of things we can be worried about, a lot of stresses that may be part of it. Maybe some of us are even walking through some loss this Christmas that we didn't expect or plan on. Um, Father, thank you for this season to remind us that you came and took on flesh, and because of that, you can understand every emotion that's in this place this morning. From the greatest joy to the greatest sorrow, you can know it, experience it, you have. And, uh, and yet somehow, majestically, you make good out of these things that cause sadness and trials in our own life. And so this morning, I pray that that would be true. Um, God, that you would be uh, working good in those that maybe are feeling not so good. And God, that you would be increasing the joy in those who are already joyful. Would you exceed it this Christmas? Um, God, as we go to your word, I pray that it be clear. Uh, I pray that we would be people who love you. And as a result of loving you, we, we make you known. And uh, I pray that would be clear this morning. And uh, you would speak through your spirit to us and uh, through your word. Here I pray. Amen. Well, as you said, we are um, in uh, week three of, I had to think, week three of our Advent series. And uh, we've kind of been talking about this idea of peace. This is not going to stay. It's just going to continue to do that. You're welcome. We're just going to let that happen. Uh, we're in week three of the Advent series, and uh, as we are uh, hitting into week three, we want to move from peace into the idea of goodwill. And as we talk about goodwill, we've talked about it being this, this pleasure and this zeal that God had. And the announcement to the shepherds, uh, there was these angels that appear, and they say, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, all right? Uh, and depending on which translation of the Bible you have, it maybe read as a little differently in each one, but the idea was that God had favor to those who would turn to him as their savior. And it was a zeal and a pleasure for him to, to want that. And so he continues 
uh, in this idea of goodwill, or we're going to continue in this idea of goodwill this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 6. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It'd be great. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, 2 to 6. If you do not have one with you, that is fine. Uh, one, there are hard copies out on the uh, information table. If you would like a free Bible, uh, you can go ahead and take one of those. Um, if you want to give it as a gift this Christmas, you can be like, go take one, and you can give it away. I'm like, I brought you a Bible. Awesome. We're okay with that. Use it. Uh, but those are out there if you want to get one of those on the way out. Uh, if not, uh, get the scriptures you have in front of you, and we will be in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be talking this week about what does it mean to have goodwill towards our neighbors? How do we have this idea of sharing this awesome faith that we have towards those on the outside? Maybe those who have never turned to Christ have never put their full weight into Jesus, and how do we be good stewards of that this Christmas? And he begins in verse 2, and this is kind of towards the end of the letter to a church in Colossae, and as he ends this letter to this church plant, uh, it's been known of Paul that as he writes these things, he kind of saves the best for last. He kind of gives these like initial greetings or salutations as he leaves, but these end of the letters are pretty much kind of a sum up, and they're kind of a, if you don't get anything else out of this letter, I want you to understand this. And that's what he's doing here in Colossians. He's kind of given us some pretty big stuff as he ends this letter to the church in Colossians. He spent most of Colossians talking about the preeminence of Christ, how Christ is more powerful than anything they've ever seen in their life. He's gone into chapter 3 talking about putting on this new self, this idea of once you accept Christ, you are brand new. And then he ends with this wonderful passage in verses 2 through 6, and he gives us a way to talk to those who are outside of Christ in a way that is powerful and important. And so he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the first thing he says here is if we're going to talk about being um, close to those who are on the outside, so the first thing you need to do is be steadfast in your prayer. Steadfast already holds the meaning of steady, right? We know that. It holds the idea of endurance, but Paul adds a word here. It's almost repetitive. He's like, continue steadfastly. <laughs> like, okay, so stead, okay, Paul, steadfastly is already the verb, right? I mean, it's kind of the adjective. It's already the, the constant thing. We're already going to be steady, but he adds, continue on to steadfastness. And so literally, this would mean something like this. It would go something like this if you were to read it literally in the Greek. To courageously persist in prayer. I'm going to say that again. He's asking us as believers, when it comes to sharing Christ with those who have no relationship with Jesus Christ, to those outside of Christ, he says, I want to courageously persist in prayer. It reminds me of the old story in, in, in the Old Testament of Jacob who, who wrestles with God all night long. And at the end of this wrestling match with God, he ends up leaving with a limp because he's, he's, he's not let go of God. He's persisted with God. It's a courageous persistence in prayer. And many of us, may, we, we may understand the persistence in prayer, but there's a difference when you add the word courageous to this thing. And that is a boldness that I am going to pray for the salvation of those that I I love that they would come to know Jesus and I'm going to pray it boldly. I'm going to ask why not them? Why not my family member? Why not my neighbor? Why not my coworker turning to Jesus Christ? It's a continual steadfastly in prayer. And then he adds a beautiful little caveat to the end of this verse. He says, I want you to be courageously persistent in prayer. And then he says, 
and be watchful in it. We're going to talk about that with thanksgiving. This is awesome. He says, not only do you do it as kind of like a persistent thing, but there should be a joy in it, right? And many of us are like, I'm not there. Okay, you, you can be there, right? There can be this thing where there's this joyful and this thankfulness when it comes to our praying. This is the fifth time in this letter Paul says that we should be grateful or thankful for something. And this is amazing. If you were to look at the entire book, he says this. Paul says we should be grateful for salvation in chapter 1, verse 12. We should be thankful for growth in chapter 2, verse 6. For the fellowship with Christ and his church in chapter 3, verse 15. And an opportunity to serve in chapter 3, verse 17. And here, when praying for opportunities with unbelievers. Isn't that amazing? Like, if you just read Colossians this, this Christmas break, you're going to hear, how do I be thankful for salvation, for growth, for fellowship with Christ and his church, opportunities to serve, and here for praying for opportunities for those who are outside of Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to be thankful for all of it. I want you to have a joy that is found in it, not just a, the, the church expected it of me, I'm supposed to do it, but a, a thankfulness in how we do this, which raises the big question this morning, and that is this. Are you watchful for gospel opportunities? Are you watchful for those opportunities to be around people who want nothing to do with what you believe? And not only are you watchful, um, the other question is, are you around these outsiders of Christ enough to be watchful? A better way of saying maybe, are you in the game or are you on the sidelines when it comes to sharing our faith with those who are outside of Jesus Christ? Because if there's any goodwill to give out this Christmas, if there's any kind of joy to give out this Christmas, it's not just cards and things like that. It's the message of salvation to those around you. Wouldn't it be, and I'm, I'm just, wouldn't it be amazing that this is the year, this is the Christmas, that somebody you love who's been outside of Jesus Christ for far too long, that this Christmas is the Christmas that they say, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about this. I really want to surrender my entire life to Jesus Christ this Christmas. And to many of us, we're like, that's crazy. Well, that will never happen. It could. And especially as we become people who are goodwill towards our neighbors. This idea of thankfulness in prayer. So he says, the first thing, if we're going to have this kind of an impact on our neighbors, is to be prayerful. As it starts with prayer. Being watchful in thanksgiving. Thankfulness becomes almost the breeding ground for joy here. And it all started with this idea of salvation in the beginning. Okay? And then he goes into verse 3. So he says, first off, I want you to pray. And then he says, at the same time as you are praying in your prayers, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So in other words, Paul is at this point in time in prison in Rome, and he's imprisoned for sharing the gospel. Not many of us are going to be there, but he's in, in prison, in chains. Well, not in chains at this point. He's probably house arrest at this point. But he is, in, in, he is basically held outside of his own will at this point in time, and he's writing to this church saying, hey, don't forget that I'm in prison because of sharing the gospel, and there is a joy in it. And he says these key words. He says, pray also for us. In other words, he's specifically saying, pray for me and for Timothy at this point. But he's also saying, pray for us as church worldwide, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Now, 
This is a little caveat. This is not really much here, but this is just, can I just pick on us for a little bit as Christians? Um, so for those who aren't really put your faith in Christ, you're new to church, you're kind of like, I'm not sure how this works. This isn't for you. This is for those who have been in Christ for a while. Let me just kind of pick on us for a little bit uh, and, and, and get a right terminology. Okay, we as Christians say a lot of weird things. Okay, let's just put that out there. We, we are known to say some things that don't make sense, and we're going to talk about that at the end. Uh, but we, we kind of talk about some things that some often don't make sense. And, and one of the things we say a lot is, is this, this phrase, I'm just praying that God would open the door, right? Which is, which is fine, right? It's here, it's open the door. But here's what typically happens when we pray this prayer of open the door. It's typically uh, in, in, in regards to a job promotion or a move or a next level up. And it, it's, it's a term that we uh, use all the time. And to quote the great philosopher of Indigo Montoya, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Because when you say open the door, I don't think you mean what I think it means. Because what it means without, in, in Scripture, and he uses it almost predominantly in Colossians here, he says this word open the door. Whenever Paul uses open the door, it is always, always in the context of the gospel being shared. Not, and, and it's great. Job promotions are fine. And, and, and that you, you, know, you have a relationship here or that you're dating somebody here or whatever, that God would open the door for me to date, whatever, that, that's fine. But ultimately what I'm saying, and again, I'm just picking on us a little bit because I have a microphone and you don't. So, um, but as we think about this, the open the door is always exclusively, predominantly in the idea of evangelism. He uses it here. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 16 and he uses it in 2 Corinthians 2. And it's not for job opportunities or personal advancements or favor. It's always tied to prayer and it's always tied to sharing the gospel. So when you think now, when you think of open the door, right, you're going to always hopefully think, okay, am I using it correctly? That's one. I'm going to put a big guilt trip on you first. That's first. Secondly, I want you to understand it and say, whenever you're praying it, even as a job opportunity, here's a beautiful thing. As you're praying for the job opportunity, God, open the door. Okay, wait, open the door for, yes, this job. I would love that, but pray for the relationships that come with that job promotion, not just the job promotion. Does that make sense? Because there's always a relationship at stake. There's always more to be done. And that was a complete caveat. And this idea of God opening the door for Paul, that they would declare the mystery of Christ on account of which he was in prison. And here's what Paul is asking. He's asking two things in regard to sharing the gospel. That it would be clear, that the mystery of Christ would be clear, and that he would be able, be able to deliver that mystery. They use the term making it clear because this thing of mystery of Christ can be very abstract and it can be very hard to define. So here's what I want to do as we finish out, because what Paul's talking about here is one prayer. He says, in that prayer, I want you to be praying for God to open the door for opportunities for you to share the gospel. Here's what I found in my own life. When you do that, that happens. And you have to be ready to say, I didn't think you'd actually answer that. Okay, uh, here we go, right? Because as you pray, God will continue to open doors for you to share the gospel. And here's some tips from Paul that we have for sharing this goodwill this Christmas. So I'm going to give you five total, okay? So that's where we're going to head. Five of these complete things that he gives us in Scripture when it comes to how do we give the gospel of Christ to our neighbors. And here's one word of caution as we do this. One, you are a relational being speaking to another relational being about a highly relational gospel given to you by a relational God, okay? When you give the gospel to people, when you pro- 
share Christ. Please, please remember, you are a relational being speaking to another relational being about a highly relational gospel given to you by a relational God. All of it should be found in relationship. All of it should be this idea of, is there a relationship for me? Do I have an ability to do that? Is there a relationship that I have with those who are outside or or are all my relationships inside the church? And he says this about when we share the gospel. And we begin in verse five with the first one. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. First thing, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. First thing, be wise in how you handle the gospel and how you handle yourself among those who are outside of the body of Christ. Be wise. One of the things you can be wise in is avoiding sin, right? It's really easy to get caught up in that world. And I think of back to the youth group days, and it became a lot clearer in youth group days because parents would tell kids not, what not to do and what they could do. Uh, principals and teachers could tell them, coaches could tell them what they were and were not supposed to do. It gets a little weird, though, when you get into the adult phase because as an adult, nobody's there over your shoulder being like, you should or you shouldn't, you should or you shouldn't. And nobody's really kind of checking up on you to make sure that you're walking in wisdom, that you're avoiding sin in the midst of sharing Christ. And that can look a lot of different ways. But here's what he's asking you to do. In your giving the gospel to someone you care about and building that relationship, he says, I want you to be wise and I want you to avoid sin in order to get the gospel across. Be wise in it. Wisdom means also asking this person to be involved in their life. It means being discerning about who I spend time with. And are they, and it's, it sounds so weird, again, going back to middle school, high schoolers in the room, you've heard this all the time, that your friends will have an impact on you, right? And your friends will determine where you go. Somebody once said that your friends will determine the quality and the quantity of your life. It will, it will determine where you go, and it will also determine the passion in which you get there. Now, that's true for middle school and high schoolers. It's also true for adults. The friendships that you have, or the lack of friends that you have will determine the direction and the passion of your life. And he's saying here, all of those friendships that you have, there should be plenty that are happening out in the world, that are happening outside of these church walls, that are happening outside of Community Bible Church. And he's asking you to be wise and discerning in them. Proverbs eleven nine says, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge of the righteous are delivered. He says, don't be like others who just kind of give things out and destroy one another with their neighbors. He says, I want you to have the knowledge of Christ, which is righteousness delivered. And then he says in eleven thirty, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. In other words, those who are living outside of the church walls and building relationships, the fruit of what they are doing in building those relationships captures the souls of the wise. And that is a good thing. The first thing he says, be wise in how you do that. Part of being wise also means listening and not just giving a gospel presentation that you learned at some point in your life, but listening to where they are. Wise means listening. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, verse 5. Making the best use of time. In other words, the second thing is not just wisdom, but he says he's asking us to be present. To be present, to actually be available, to actually have conversations, to, to enter into their life so that they don't become this project, right? Nobody wants to be a project. Nobody wants to be a friend just because 
you, you, you've, you've been told that you're supposed to evangelize in the big Christian word, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. They want time. They need to be present with their certain circumstances. Time seems to be a commodity, unfortunately, that we universally are in short supply of. Time is one thing we probably don't monitor, monitor as much as we manage. Is that true for you? If it's true for me. Time is this thing that we ultimately, we would love to be able to say that we manage it and that we're in control of it. But honestly, time is one of those things that is probably just something we monitor. We look at our calendars. It tells us what we're doing that week. It tells us who we're spending time with that week. And we have zero, maybe feel like this, we have zero control over our calendars. They just feel like job and pressures of job and pressures of family. And then I've got an evening off. And so I just want to be alone and I want to be left alone on my evening off. And, and time just becomes a commodity that is in really short supply right now. And time can be forced upon us. Like I said, our calendars can be, almost become our gods. And schedules can, can dictate the life to us rather than us dictating our schedules. And I think we could all be reminded that we could use the gift of time at Christmas this year. Time as a gift with those outside of the walls of Jesus Christ. To just really check in on those coworkers or friends or neighbors who are right next door to you. To just check in and say, how's it going? How's Christmas? Are you excited for Christmas this year? What's going on in your family? Who's coming over? Small conversations, but being present and taking the time to do it. Because as we all know, it's going to take time for us to get there. But do you carve out time? Do you see that there is time in your schedule to actually be present. Now, I mean, I say all that, and I say that as, as a hypocrite at this point, because my schedule is, is, is completely not doing what I'm telling you. So let me just be transparent. I look at this, and I'm putting this together, and I'm like, okay, so when was the last time you had time to just be around your neighbors? And I think, 2015. Honestly, it was 2015, 2016 when we were planting the church. There was 20 of us at that point, not even that. There was a very small number of us, and we were meeting at, at my house, and there was a whole just small group thing. And, and of course, I had time. And so I would do study out on the front porch. I would walk around the neighborhood. I'd get to meet to know my neighbors. I'd know them by name. I mean, I had a, I mean, I had a plan and an agenda. You know this. I had a plan and an agenda. I'm going to know names. I'm going to know their stuff. I'm going to hear what's going on. And the one neighbor, I you know, went to have a conversation. I got way too much information. And I was like, whoa, okay, I guess we're on stage six. And I was just going to say, How, what's your last name? And, and I got everything. And, and it was just part of that dialogue that it continues to build. And I look at my neighbors now and I think, I, I haven't talked to them in forever. It's been a long time since I've carved out time to just be present. And again, we live in Ohio, so it's cold and nobody's going to be out on the front porch right now. But I'm saying there are opportunities to be present and available to those around us. And it's a good reminder for us as a church body to say, are you present? Are you spending time with those not of Community Bible Church, but those outside of it? Here's the true statement from Harvey Turner, who wrote a book, Friend of Sinners. Highly recommend it, small little book. Evangelism happens on their time, not your time. Evangelism has to happen on their time, not yours. It can't just be a set thing, and I'm going to knock it out, and it's going to be a great thing. It takes a long time to build a friendship. It takes a long time to, to, to build into those outside of Christ. And he's asking us to have a relationship, 
Have a relationship because you care about them, not just because you have a message to tell. 4-6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He says, I want your speech as you share the gospel. I want it to be gracious. Some of you, I love you, but some of you, like, the word gracious in your speech is not present. Like, it's just like, I, I don't operate like that. I, I just, I, I get facts out, I get data, and that's how I operate. Great. Be gracious in that, okay? Uh, I, don't, I don't like to talk to people. Great. Maybe gracious is actually you talking to somebody, right? So I don't know what that looks like, but be gracious. And you can even think in your head as you're having the conversation that you don't want to have. I'm being gracious. I'm being gracious. I'm being present. I'm being gracious. What? Yeah, I'm being gracious. I'm being present. I'm being gracious. I'm thinking snow removal. His stuff's going to be on my yard. I know how this is going to go. Every year they get their stuff on my property. Being gracious, being present. How are you? That's good, right? Being gracious, being present is part of sharing the gospel. Be gracious. Be curious in your speech. Gracious does not mean, let me just put this out on the other side of it. Gracious does not mean passive. Okay? Just because you're gracious doesn't mean you can't speak truth. Some of us are so scared to offend, and we're on the other side of this thing. We, we'll have the convers- we don't want to have the conversation because we don't want to offend. We don't want to put truth out there. We don't want somebody uncomfortable. And so we're being gracious by not speaking the truth. No, the truth must be spoken. You can't just kind of work your way through being kind and nice, and then all of a sudden you slap them upside the head with, hey, by the way, you're going to hell. Like, that's a big change. Right? If they, all they've known about you is being gracious and kind, and then you hit them upside the head with that, they're gonna like, what in the world? What? That would have been good to know at the beginning, right? Like, that would have been helpful information. Being gracious does not mean passive, it means speaking truth and doing it in a way that honors Christ and puts the gospel foremost. Also, being gracious means not argumentative. <laughs> Not, not, picking, not picking your pet project to go after in a conversation with those outside of the church walls. No one ever, let, well, there may be some. Let me just caveat this. But most normal people, okay, don't like to start off a conversation on defense, okay? Some of you, some of you do, and I worry about you. But <laughs> most of us don't like to start conversations on defense, right? Not many of us want to start off a conversation just boiling in anger, right? I just can't wait to get my point across because I'm going to let them have it, right? That is not what he's talking about here. He's being gracious in their speech, not argumentative. Realize the immensity of what you're asking them in this. In order to be gracious, you have to take a step back and you have to kind of think, what exactly am I asking them to believe. And as you think about that, you get more gracious because here's what you're asking somebody to come to terms with, okay? Number one, uh, you're asking them to put a complete trust in Jesus Christ. You're expecting not only complete trust, you're expecting complete transformation. Not only are you expecting complete transformation of them, you're, you're expecting an exchange of freedom of the things I used to do are now the things I don't do. Romans chapter 7, acknowledge that they are not good enough to earn God's favor. You're asking them to trust in that. And those are just some of, the, some of the things you're asking them to believe. And so as you have conversations, be gracious in how you handle yourself in those conversations. 
being gracious. And then he goes to four, six, the second part. Let your speech be gracious. He says, then let your speech be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each other. He says, seasoned with salt. We're not going to get into all the things of salt and what it does and doesn't do. I think we're, we're past that. I just want to say the point, when he's talking about seasoned with salt, he's talking about the idea of being different here, right? He's talking about the idea of this message is different. To be different, to be unique in the, God, in the God that you serve of why do they do that thing they do? Why do they have the hope that they have? Why do they have a joy even when they had to go through that kind of pain in their own life? Yet they still seem to be standing on their own two feet. That's crazy. How does that work, right? They parent different than I parent. Wonder why that is. They, they, they handle their finances differently than I handle my finances. What, why is that? They attend church every Sunday. It's like they can't miss. And it's, so it's, some of them are even excited to be there. Who knew, right? What does that mean? What is that about? It's the idea of being different. And for us, at Community Bible Church, let me go back to picking on us again, okay? You're going to love Christmas time. Let me just pick on us again a little bit. In this idea of being different, we, as Community Bible Church, are going to have an opportunity to be gracious and different in about a week's worth of time, okay? We are going to go back to where we first began as a church plant and say, I have got to think differently and be more gracious. So some of that can simply mean, I realize that parking is a commodity at our new building, Therefore, I will not expect to bring my entourage with me and just everybody pile into five different cars to get there. And that's the first step, right? But maybe we, we consolidate. Maybe we kind of just go together to church, which now we can because they're not set up in teardown. That's fantastic. We can actually go together to church, right? We're going to save spots. We're going we're gonna to park in inconvenient places first. I know. You guys already do that, but for many of us, it's a reminder. I'm going to park where nobody else wants to park, and we're going to haul it in, and we're going to be great, right? And we're going to be different in how we handle ourselves. We're going to give people the best seats and not the seat that I want. I'm not picking anybody specifically, per se. But we are going to give people the best. We're going to remember what it was like to be an outsider coming into a new space. We're going to remember all the questions and fears and what ifs and how could they and how do they operate and what do they do and should I stand, should I sit, the singing thing, what's that about? And how, we're going to be different and we're going to be gracious. We're going to give people the best seats. We're going to give them the best spots. We're going to be inconvenienced for the sake of being convenient to those who are outside of Christ because it's what we do. And I say pick on you, but here's the reality. I know you all and I know your hearts and I know how you've served and sacrificed. This is not going to be a hard thing for us because you already have done these things before. I think we've just kind of this year specifically, things have just kind of leveled out a little bit. We've kind of gotten used to the, I say we've, we've grown comfortable with the uncomfortable. <laughs> we, we've grown comfortable with, with the lights and the, and the, and the setup and teardown and, and being surrounded by pole banners and all those kind of things. And we've just become normal to us. But I want us to think differently this Christmas and to think, how do I serve and not expect to be served? 
How do I come into Sunday mornings and not just expect me to be filled, but how do I come into Sunday mornings saying, I'm looking around my family and I'm looking around my church family saying, how can I be of Jesus to my family today? And you're looking around, you're saying, I just want to have one conversation with that person who I haven't connected with in a long time and I just want to make sure that they're doing okay. I want to have a conversation with somebody new that they've maybe checking this thing out and I want to hear what their story is and You get it, but it's just a good reminder for us of practical actions as we step into next week and as we continue on, okay? So I want us to think, how do we inconvenience ourselves for for being, allowing others outside of Christ to be convenienced? So not only do we want to be different that way, but we also want to be different and not, let me just throw this out, not weird, okay? So you want to be different, but different is, is not the same as being weird, Okay, we don't want that stigma, right? You ever been to Community Bible Church? Yeah, they're weird. Okay, uh, you don't want that. You want you don't want to be the weirdos in there that are just kind of they do things differently and it's just kind of they don't do all the things and it's just you get it, right? And, and, and at the same time, we don't want to be the uh, the wannabes either in being different. The wannabes are the fact that they look no different than anybody else around their neighborhood, right? They don't act any different. They don't prioritize any differently. They just live life the exact same way, and they never know that there's something different in your life because you just want to be like everybody else. That's not what he's asking us to be either. He's not asking you to be weirdos. He's not asking you to be wannabes, and he's not asking you to be bored with your faith either. There should be a joy and excitement in your relationship with Jesus Christ, something that just excites you about him, that you desire to share him with other people, that you would want to be sharing Christ. It should come as natural as talking about your hobbies. Whatever it is that you get geeked up about in a given week, Christ should be at the top of that list. So he doesn't want to be any of those things, but he does want us to be different in them. Last but not least, he says, you let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, and here's the last part, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And here's the last piece of this. You, do, you guys do a great job of this, Community Bible Church. I, I have to say, this is, this is a, um, I love this about us, and that is this, that be interested. Be interested in their story. Be interested in their life. Not just for the sake of sharing the gospel, but truly interested in their life. They're going to have wise things to share with you as you will have wise things to share with them. Their lives, be the most interested, be the biggest fan, getting to know them, and say, man, I'm just, tell me more about that. What, what is that about? How does that work? How does that operate? Be interested in them because everybody has a story. We want it to be, everybody has a gospel story. Everybody has a story of when they surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And they said, I can, I can know without a shadow of a doubt that Christ is in my life because I took that step, right? Be interested in their story. Be interested in all their kids' lives and in the things that are priorities for them and ask good questions along the way. Again, all of this is going to require time. This is going to require you to sacrifice that time that you have with other things and priorities to say, how can I share this goodwill, this zeal of God with those around me? Last but not least, as we finish out this morning, is this. Evangelism, when we think of that big word, sharing the gospel. The evangelist, which is us, sharing the gospel. The evangelist is the means of evangelism, not the cause of its effectiveness. The evangelist is the means of evangelism, 
not the cause of its effectiveness. In other words, he's asking you to just share a story, to just give towards that end. He's asking you to do it knowing that you're not the one who causes growth to happen. Only Jesus causes the the growth to happen. Only Jesus can make a difference in their life. He's simply asking you to be the means to which that gospel is presented. And I'm asking us as a church, it's good timing heading into 2020, um, that we would reprioritize our lives and say, the things that we started at the very beginning of Community Bible Church, we want to go back to next year. We want to go back to how do we become good neighbors? How do we become better and more intentional in those neighborhoods that we are involved in? How do we expand past just here and, and open up Northwest and Canal Fulton and other communities in Lawrence Township to just start expanding our reach and saying, how do we love our neighbors to life, which is what we are grounded upon. And all of these things can happen when we start to prioritize our lives, where we're present, we're wise in how we handle them, we're different, we're, we're interested in their own life. And I'm praying that God will give us, as Community Bible Church, plenty of opportunities to share the hope that is within us with those around us. And that many would turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because honestly, what are we really here for, right? It's not just to gather on Sunday mornings and sing songs and feel good about ourselves. We are here that the gospel of Jesus Christ may go out to this community. That's why he's placed you where you are. That's why you live where you live. That's why you work where you work. He has relationships around you that are dying to hear the gospel. And he's asking us, will you trust me enough to do that? As we close out this morning, we're going to finish with a song, um, King of Kings. And in this, there's a lot of words, there's a lot of theology in it. And I love it because it reminds us of who we are and who he is. And I'm just going to simply ask this morning, I'm just going to ask you to think through during this song. I want you to think through one person that you're feeling like, man, I just feel like maybe God has them on my radar because I need to share the hope that is within me with them. Or maybe it's just, God, I haven't prayed for them in a long time. I need to reset. I need to, I need to prioritize that. I go back to beginning of starting here. I go back to where we used to live before we even planted here. And I, I remember there was plenty of evenings around the table that we were just praying as a family for those who were outside of Christ, who, who didn't want anything to do with him. And some of those were neighbors. Some of those neighbors ended up trusting in Christ. Some of them did not. But it was, a, it was a passion, and it was a forefront of our minds. And I want us to get back to those things as we think of this goodwill towards men. How do we get back to praying for those who need Christ? And so I'm going to ask you to think of one name, just be praying for God, God to give you opportunities this season to speak truth into their life. And just see what he does with it. And I'm so excited to see how it continues to grow us as Community Bible Church in the coming years because we're faithful with the message he's entrusted to us. Let's sing out together.